0: Could you turn back to uh, Mark chapter 6 in your bibles and we'll turn to that uh, passage that we we read uh, earlier I wonder when you last saw a magic show they're not so frequent on the TV now you used to have a lot of magic uh, on the TV Paul Daniels etc perhaps you've been to a party and there was a, a magician present and uh, people wonder, how on earth did he do that? Uh, how did the woman get into that box and he soared straight down the middle of it and she pops out unscathed? How on earth can he have an empty black hat and pull a white rabbit out? How does that happen? People were amazed at the things that Jesus did. And maybe their reaction was almost the reaction that we would have to a magician. How did he do that? How can he just by a word or just by a touch? And sometimes even without a touch, just by an act of his will. How on earth can he do things like this? Give sight to the blind. How can he make the lame man walk? How can he do it? What's his secret? Every magician has a secret, and there's a thing called the magic circle, isn't there? And their secrets are very, very closely guarded, how they perform these illusions. but it would be a blasphemy to say that Jesus was merely a magician, to say that he was merely doing tricks. Magicians are illusionists. And like the magicians in the court of Pharaoh, they were just pretending to do, they were trying to do the things that only God can do. It's never about just the miracles. People were wowed by what Jesus did, but it's never just about the miracles. Amazing though they are, even at a distance of 2,000 years. It's never about the miracles. It's always about the one who performs them. It's about Jesus and about who he is. And for all those that had eyes to see, and for those that knew their Old Testament, they would have known that the things that Jesus did, the lame man uh, dancing around like a deer, the blind having their sight, they would have known that these are the very things that would be done by the Messiah, the Son of God. It's about who he is and that's my focus it's an amazing miracle the feeding of the 5,000 how did he do it what would you have seen if you were close enough imagine that you your eyes were trained on his hands and he received the five loaves and the two fish from the disciples what would you have actually seen as he distributed and distributed and kept on giving and the disciples kept on coming back and taking food to the crowd and coming back and taking more? It doesn't really matter what you would have seen. It's who he is. There are three contrasts in the passage here that will help us to see what we should see about who Jesus is. The first contrast in the passage is between the the harshness of the disciples and the gentleness of Jesus. For the disciples, And i don't think i would have been any different from them for the disciples the crowds flocking to jesus were just a nuisance they were just a problem they were preventing their master and them getting the rest that they badly needed they were tired Jesus had said to his disciples in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And the prospect of just being at last quiet and just with their master, some unhurried time with Jesus, how they were looking forward to that. And suddenly, it's all ruined because a thousand strong crowd of people, men and women and children, had assembled. And you understand why in verse 35, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and by themselves something to eat. Send them away. Jesus, though, sees them differently. Or does 30, verse 34 uh, say, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. From the beginning, Jesus sees them differently. They are sheep without a shepherd. If a politician saw a crowd like that, if King Herod saw a crowd like that, if one of the Roman emperors saw a crowd like that, if a modern day politician saw a crowd like that, their questions would be, will they support me? Can I count On their vote, do they like me? And then what can I get them to do for me? How can they serve my interests? But no, Jesus sees them like sheep without a shepherd. They are vulnerable, they are weak and needy. And he teaches them. They need to know about the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And there's a contrast between the uncaring attitude of the disciples and the gentleness, the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Do you have a shepherd this morning? Do you have the good shepherd. We're not lions. We might like to think we're lions. The kings of the uh, jungle, as it were. We are sheep. We are foolish and apt to stray. Incapable of defending ourselves. Needing one who is greater and wiser than we are. We need to be protected. We need to be fed. We need to be kept. We need to be saved. And this good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. That's how needy they were. And with the Lord Jesus, there is power power to protect. There's power to keep, there's power to defend, but there's also a great tenderness. And it comes out in what um, Isaiah uh, says in chapter 40. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's Jesus, the good shepherd. So the gentleness, the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Today, where we are, 2022, with all the pressures that life is throwing at us, with all the burdens that people are having to bear, do you not need a shepherd? Do you not need one who is greater than you? One to whom all power is given, but one who is full of tenderness for those that go astray, for those that are Foolish as we are. The second contrast is between the vastness of the need and the tiny resources that were available. A huge need, but tiny resources to meet the need. There are 5,000 men that have assembled with women and children a lot of people and they're all hungry so we might guess at 20 or so thousand people and there they all are having assembled together to jesus the population of my steg, i think including lanthiffelon and the other, other villages is 20,000 or so. Can you imagine the population of Mysteg, etc., all gathered together in one place? 20 odd thousand people. Imagine the noise for a start. They've all gathered in one place, they're all needy. The disciples would gladly have sent them away. Jesus intends to meet their needs. He intends to do something that will show them and show the disciples who he really is. It's a vast need. What's the great need today? There are lots of answers to that question. People have financial needs. People have mental health needs. People have needs of counseling in their relationships. People have needs of support. People have needs of food. All kinds of answers to that question, what is the great need? The Bible's answer to what is the great need? You won't hear it on the media, but you will hear it Here in Peniel, the great need is that you don't have a shepherd, that you are lost and vulnerable and helpless, that you've strayed, that you've sinned against God. And there's no remedy that can be found anywhere except in this shepherd, the one who cares for your soul. 20 or so thousand people. And what resources are there? Five loaves and two fish. What resources does the church have for all these thousands of people? The church's resources are tiny, a few people. Not very impressive in the world's eyes and we are very much in the situation of these disciples faced with the vastness of the need but tiny resources what difference can we make in the other uh, parallel passages in the gospels uh, the account of this feeding of the five thousand It makes even more clear that the disciples had no remedy. Yeah, we've got the five loaves and the two fish, we can cobble together at least that. But what good is that among so many? How on earth can these resources meet the vast need? We could be paralyzed, we could shrug our shoulders in despair. What do I have, what do we have, what can we do? On the 6th of August, 1945, the first atomic bomb used in war was dropped over Hiroshima in Japan. The second bomb detonated Nagasaki on the 9th of August. It remains, thankfully, The only use of nuclear weapons and it unleashed an explosive force that had been unknown in human history and we can't conceive we hear about the threat of nuclear warfare we hear about the threat of nuclear weapons being unleashed but it's only those who would have witnessed those explosions in Japan that would have understood what nuclear weapons can really do. Tens of thousands of people killed and maimed, not to mention what it did to the soil and the land. On that day, the 6th of August, 1945, uh, a doctor, Dr. Fumio Shigeto, was waiting for a bus. It was 8.15 a.m. It was about a mile from the centre of the blast He was waiting for a bus to take him to his work at the hospital. And it was just at the point where he recognised a colleague, a nurse, at the front of the queue, that all of a sudden there was a blinding flash. He was sheltered from the worst of the impact by the corner of a concrete building. He was just completely stunned and disorientated, he had no idea, nobody had any idea what had happened. But suddenly, all around him were the screams of desperately injured men and women. What could he do? That was such a huge event. Suddenly, virtually a whole city full of people that were dead or dying. And there he is, one man, a doctor, with his black medical bag. Really, it needed a whole army of nurses or paramedics. But he just knelt down and began treating the man that was next to him, until the man insisted that he should treat his wife first. Very soon, Dr. Shigeto had used all the supplies that were in his bag. He tore his own shirt off and was making strips to treat uh, those that were wounded. What can we do with tiny resources and a huge need? As Christians, what do we do when our resources are so small, we give them to Jesus. That's where the story of Dr Shigeto is only half the story. When we would or could shrug our shoulders and say, with 20,000 more people, families upon families, streets upon streets, not Knowing the gospel, in fact, living as though the gospel had never even come to my stake. Burdened as they are, preoccupied as they are, not knowing the Bible, two, three, four generations after there was even a culture of going to chapel. Those that would go past great old chapel buildings in my stag, and think, what on earth is that? What was that for? What did people do in that building? What do we do? We give the little that we have to Jesus. There's um, a chorus that I got to love quite a number of years ago, and it says, "Father, I place into your hands the things." i cannot do father i place into your hands the person i would be for i know i always can trust you we place the tiny resources we place really the nothingness into his hands and watch what he will do the most precious resource in the economy of heaven is prayer. Nobody in the world values uh, prayer, but what great things have begun in prayer a tiny resource with no monetary value, but worth more than the world. We put what we have into the hands of Jesus. And it isn't the quantity, is it? Have you thought about what would Jesus have done if there were just four loaves and two fish? Or three loaves? Or two loaves? Or even nothing? Those hands of Jesus can create out of nothing. He loves to do that. He loves to multiply. He loves to, with his own power, make a lot out of nothing. That's always the way that Jesus works. That's the story of God's dealings with people. Little things, tiny acts, but being used to accomplish much So Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. He chose The small things. He chose that which is despised. And how ridiculous those five loaves and two fish must have seemed to feed 20,000 people. Vast need and tiny resources. But it isn't the quantity. It's the person to whom it is given. Even if we have, have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, it's never about how much faith. It's about the one to whom the faith is directed. It's the one to whom we give the little, the nothing that we have. He creates. Why shouldn't he create? He is the word who was there in the beginning with God. And then the third <coughs> contrast is our inability, but his ability. Notice what Jesus does in our uh, passage, Mark chapter 6, and verse uh, 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they'd found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. It's a nice touch, isn't it? The green grass. We often think of Israel or Palestine as being very dry and sort of desert, arid places, but they sat down on the green grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Notice that there's order. Jesus says, get the people to sit down in groups, groups of 100 or groups of 50. This isn't the chaotic scene uh, that you might see when a truck full of food arrives in a famine-hit area and people are punching each other to try and get near to the truck. People are hacking into the bags to get food for themselves. Jesus knows what he's going to do. So he says, get ready, get them organized, get them sitting down. And then there is a blessing. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. He acknowledges even his dependence on God. He is praying, he is seeking the help of heaven to do what he is about to do. He's saying to the disciples, in effect, I am able. I can do this. I am able. Trust me. Do what I say. Wait for the outcome. So we give the little that we have to him, knowing that he is able and we are to trust him and do what he says and wait for the outcome. And so Jesus receives what they give to him and multiplies it in his hands so that it keeps on being distributed. And everyone has plenty, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied more than that verse 43 they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish our inability but his ability so there's a lesson for us as a church that tiny though we are relative to the need around us what matters is whether we put what we have into the hands of jesus whether we use that priceless resource that would be rejected and seem ridiculous to the world but use that priceless resource of prayer and seeking the help of heaven on the little that we have There's a lesson here as well, thinking of his ability and our inability. That is very true, the Bible says, in relation to becoming a Christian in the first place. And I don't want to assume that all of you here this morning are Christians. The most common thing that keeps anyone from coming to Jesus is pride or self-sufficiency. I've always relied on myself, somebody might say. I've always found answers to the problems that I have. Are you saying when you uh, preach the Bible and when you talk to me about Jesus, when you talk to me about the cross, are you saying that for all these years, I've got things wrong. That's a hard thing to swallow. It's hard for natural pride to have to admit that the reason that Jesus had to die, the reason the cross is there, is that my sin brings down the wrath of God. And that by sinning I've strayed far from God. And that by sinning, I have incurred nothing but hell and everlasting punishment. It's a very hard thing to swallow. And that's why it takes the grace of God for anyone to change the way that they think. This is why it takes the light of the Holy Spirit shone into the heart before the penny Drops. And they say, when it comes to being saved, when it comes to me being in a right relationship with God, receiving forgiveness of sins, becoming a citizen of heaven, I have in my hands whatever else I've done in my life, whatever achievements I've achieved, whatever good things I have done. When I come to God, In my hands, I have absolutely nothing. There's a hymn that says, nothing in my hands, I bring simply to thy cross, I cling. It's a hard thing that in this matter of knowing God and being saved, that you have no answers yourself. There's nothing that you can do. There's no contribution that's asked for. There's none that's necessary. There's none that you can give. Why? We are unable, unable, but Christ is able. And he has done already everything that we need. So those open hands that can bring nothing, by faith receive what Jesus has accomplished. And we make it our own, by faith. That's why we must, as Matthew 18 says, Jesus says there, unless you become as a little child, unless you stop bigging yourself up, unless you become like a little child and realize your absolute dependence on someone else, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus himself the one who shows the crowd and shows the disciples who he is in this passage he is the one who came into the world not as a ready-made king with armies and with power and impressiveness he made himself of no reputation and the whole of the Christmas story that will be uh, unveiled again over these next few weeks Is about the tininess and the insignificance to which the Son of God subjected himself. Choosing Mary, choosing Nazareth, it's all about tiny insignificant people and places that are made to serve great ends. He made himself of no reputation and Do you want to make a name for yourself? Do you want to cling on to what you have, your pride, your self-sufficiency? Jesus will have all the power and all the authority and all the glory will be his as well. He will not give his glory to another. Are you still holding back from coming to this Lord Jesus. Though you know that you need him and you have a sneaking feeling that what you have read uh, in the Bible and what you have heard is true. You need to come with empty hands and see what Jesus will do. See what he will make of you. See how his salvation is far greater than you could have imagined. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He loves to welcome the tiny, insignificant people. This Lord Jesus, then, he is the good shepherd. He has compassion on the people. He looks at the crowds of my steak, He looks at this little gathering this morning with nothing but Compassion because your sheep who need a shepherd have you received him, the good shepherd? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a Saviour. We thank you that, Lord, it uh, pleased you to send uh, the Lord Jesus. In the fullness of time, uh, we thank you that he uh, did not come, Lord, to judge the world, but to save. We thank you that he uh, came, Lord, to preach the good news, came to heal the sick, to raise the dead. But he came as the good shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. So we thank you for the cross of calvary but we thank you for the empty tomb we thank you for a good shepherd who lives and a good shepherd who welcomes all who come uh, to him may we be able to say with the psalmist the lord is my shepherd i shall lack nothing visit us lord Uh, We pray and deal with us in your compassion and grace. Uh, For your name's sake, amen.